Father, we ask that as we open up your word in this new year, that you would open up our hearts and our lives in fresh ways this year to the work of your spirit among us. God, you look down and you see where each one of us are at tonight. You know the pain and the difficulties and the joy and the victories that we have been experiencing over the last several days and weeks of our lives. You know our concerns and our fears and our hopes. God, you know us all the way down, and we just pray, God, that as we open up your word, that you would speak into all of these places of our life. We pray, God, that you would fill us afresh with hope and with courage, that you would give us new strength, that you would give us new resolve in this year to live faithfully to your call to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love you preeminently above all else. And we ask, God, that you would do this work in our hearts by your Spirit and for your great glory and for our good. And we ask this in Christ's name and all God's people said, amen. So as we begin a new year together, we are going to be launching into a new series entitled Wilderness. Now, the wilderness in the Bible was an actual geographical location. It was a place between Egypt, out of which the children of Israel had been rescued by the strong and powerful God, hand of God, and it was that space in between Egypt and the promised land where God was intending to bring his people. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to be exploring together different incidents, different uh, anecdotes, different experiences that the children of Israel had on their long journey from Egypt all the way to the promised land. And so we're going to be looking together at these stories. And the reason why we're looking together at this, these stories is that wilderness was not just a geographical location, which, by the way, I should point out that the geographical loca location uh, that we know of in Scripture uh, of this space, uh, you know, oftentimes when we hear the word wilderness, I don't know about you, but I think about, you know, trees and forests and that kind of wilderness. Is that what comes to your mind? Uh, but in the biblical imagination, the wilderness drew to mind not so much trees and forests, but uh, the vast expanse of a barren desert. And so to kind of like keep reminding ourselves of that vast expanse of the barren desert, uh, we have this kind of like set behind us to keep us uh, in mind of the setting of the wilderness. But uh, the geographical location was in the Sinai Peninsula, and that was indeed a vast, barren kind of desert landscape. It was that space where the life-sustaining resources that were stable and known were just absent. And so where are we going to find water? Where are we going to find food? Well, there's no stable and steady and settled answer to that question in the wilderness. And these were some of the issues that the children of Israel were wrestling with on their journey from Egypt all the way to the promised land. But you know, the wilderness is not just a place on the map. As you get further into the narrative of scripture, uh, you discover that the, the wilderness becomes this it becomes a metaphorical kind of analogy of where we often find ourselves in the Christian life. You know, on one level, in redemptive history, we as followers of Jesus, the people of God, we live together in the wilderness because we stand between the great 
exodus, that great liberation of Jesus on the cross where he defeated the greater Pharaoh, the powers of sin, death, and darkness, and he brought about the greater exodus, the greater liberation, and took us out of our guilt and shame and death. And and we are on our way to the new promised land, the new creation, heaven, and eternity in the presence of God. And we live in that place in between the great redemptive act of Jesus on the cross and our final entry into the promised land. We live our lives in the wilderness, as it were. Uh, We live our lives oftentimes in places where those stable, steady, known resources for life and sustainability sometimes find themselves lacking. And so on one level, the wilderness is a geographical location. On another, it is where the church finds ourselves in salvation history. But you know, we as the people of God can also find ourselves in wildernessy periods and seasons of life. You know, we can find ourselves in times and places in our own life where those old, ordered, known, steady places where we found life and things were vital and alive, uh, where those things are absent and we find ourselves struggling and wrestling and we don't always know where to find water and food to refresh and to nourish our life and to keep us going. And sometimes this might be for uh, you who've graduated college and you've entered into a COVID season where it just seems like there's no jobs available. And at one time, you had the stable, steady experience of being in school. You had your schedule. You had your classes. You had your assignments. And ultimately, the promised land is ahead of a a marriage and a family and a stable, steady income and a job. And right now, you are in the wilderness. You're like, I'm wandering. I am unmoored. I don't know when I'm going to move from this place of where I was to where I believe God wants me to be. Uh, Sometimes we can find ourselves in the wilderness in our marriage. You know, at one point, uh, maybe marriage was alive and it was joyful and you knew why you were together. You, you know, had that experience of love and excitement, but now that's all gone. And and you believe God has something ahead for you. you. You believe that this isn't the last word God has on your marriage, but you're not there yet. You're not yet into the future you believe God has for you. Sometimes we can find ourselves in wildernessy seasons in our own family lives, you know, where it just seems like what used to be known and stable and steady and the joy, it's been zapped out of the family. And maybe it's because of all of the polarization and the politicization in our own culture and all of the divisiveness and all the toxicity in our culture. It's broken into your own homes and and your children aren't talking to you anymore and you don't know how to talk to each other anymore. And it just feels like you're, you're kind of wandering in this space where you're unmoored and you're unsettled, and you find yourself in the wilderness. And of course, churches sometimes can find themselves in wilderness seasons. I mean, in many ways, I feel like um, this motif of the wilderness relates to my experience at our church over the last eight months. You know, if... uh, Some of you remember last year at this time, we had launched a a very, very exciting capital campaign, and we were talking all about the vision and the future of our church, 
In some ways, we were talking about how God was bringing us out of a past of decline, and he was moving us into a new promised land where there was going to be growth and, and new life and vitality. And if you remember, we had three months of a capital campaign and a sermon series and videos and stories, and it was such an exciting time in the life of this church, and, and I was so excited. And I remember the day when we were going to announce the results of our capital campaign, which actually ended 10% ahead of what our goal was. And so you all had done great on your commitments. You were all in on the future, you know, the promised land uh, God was taking us into. And maybe some of you thought Joshua is bringing us into the promised land. And, um, and uh, but you know, the day we were supposed to make that announcement, it was COVID. And we went into the wilderness and friends were still in the wilderness. And uh, it's, it seems like things have become unsettled and unmoored. And, and, and you know, even in this, this whole season of COVID, I mean, our, our previous, like, stable, settled places where we found life and order, you know, through our schedules and through the friends we met with and through maybe the, the gatherings we, we, we attended or the, the friends we invited into our house and the church services we would attend on Sunday morning at our normal time of nine o'clock or 1045, that's all been stripped away. And maybe your, your, your former employment has been stripped away and you feel unsettled and you feel unmoored, you feel like you are in the wilderness. And so the question we're going to be exploring over the next several weeks is, how does God meet us in the wilderness? What does God want to do in our lives right now in the wilderness? And as we look together at these stories of the children of Israel, as they wandered in the wilderness, we'll see how God met them and what God was doing in their life in the wilderness. And it will give us insight and understanding into what God wants to do in our lives as we find ourselves in this wilderness season. And I want to begin tonight by, just, by, by looking at the very story where the children of Israel enter first into the wilderness. And we find the story in Exodus chapter 15, verse 22, and it starts out like this. It says, Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shore. They went three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. And then it says this, And then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Oh, I'm sorry, let's go back. <laughs> let's not quite go there. I was just seeing if you're paying attention. We're not ready to go there yet. We're going to stop at verse 22. But let's just set this little story in its context. So the first half of Exodus chapter 15 is exciting. It's celebration, it's dancing, it's singing. You know, uh, just prior to this entry into the wilderness, Miriam had picked up her tambourine and she starts shaking it and she starts singing her songs and the children of Israel get up and they start shaking their tambourines and singing their songs and they sing free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last because God had parted the Red Sea. 
And he had taken his children of Israel who had been enslaved underneath the unjust rule of Pharaoh. He had broken the power of the oppressor Pharaoh and he set his people free and he brought them out of Egypt and he brought them through the Red Sea by a great miraculous show of his power as he parted those waters and they walk through the dry sea and then the seas come down and crush upon the armies of the oppressor Pharaoh. And the children of Israel are singing and dancing. And then right after that, Moses says, okay, kids, it's time to get up and move on. And he takes them into the wilderness. And look at what it says. And and I want you to see, it's interesting, right when they move into the wilderness, they face a crisis. And what's the crisis? Well, they're out in the desert and they're having a hard time finding water. And so they face their first crisis, their first problem. And it's interesting because as the story opens, we see this problem. And as the story closes, the problem is resolved. Notice how it's resolved, verse 27. Now we can jump down there. It says, and then they came to Elim where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees and they encamp there by the water. And so they, they go into the desert, they go into the wilderness, there's no water, what are we gonna do? And then it resolves when they wind up landing at this place called Elim, which is an oasis in the desert. There's 12 palms, or there's 12 springs and 70 palms, and they go there and they find their water. But it's interesting, in between the beginning of the story where the problem is raised and the end of the story where the problem is resolved, there is this dramatic, strange event in the middle of the story. And this is what I want to draw your attention to next. Look at what it says in verse 23. It says, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. So it's interesting, before they get to the oasis in the desert, they first walk by this grand pool of water and they go to drink from this water and the water is bitter. And look what it says. The water of Mara became bitter and therefore they named it Mara, which meant bitter. That's a good name to call something that's bitter, Mara. Next time somebody around you is acting bitter, you can call them Mara. Be quiet, Mara. Stop complaining, Mara. You know, you should just use it all kinds of ways. And the people grumbled against Moses. It's interesting. They come to this water, the water's bitter, and they got to blame somebody. And who do they blame? They blame their pastor, Moses. And uh, they say, what are we going to drink, Moses? And um, look at what it says. Oh, whoops. And, uh, it, and then it says in verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses saying, what shall we drink? And then Moses cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. So it's bitter. Moses, do something. Moses cries to the God and then God shows him a log off in the distance and Moses takes this log, he throws it into the water and the bitter waters become sweet. Isn't that interesting? This is a very odd story. 
And, you know, commentators have asked, like, what is this all about? It's, 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 this is not the kind of thing that typically happens in the Bible. And uh, it's very unusual. And what's happening here? And some commentators have supposed that uh, uh, some of the more modern commentators who try to find scientific, naturalistic explanations for these events in the Bible said, well, maybe what happened was uh, God showed Moses uh, some specific type of bark that had some medicinal or chemical qualities that actually caused a reaction in the water to somehow purify the water. (laughs) But there's nothing in the text that indicates that. I think a better explanation is that this story is intended to call our mind back into other stories in the Exodus, namely where the story of the Exodus opens and where it closes, where God's confrontation with Pharaoh opens. God tells Moses to take his wood staff and to touch the waters of the Nile, and the waters of the Nile are transformed into blood. And then at the end of God's confrontation with Pharaoh, God calls Moses to put his staff into the Red Sea and the Red Sea, the waters of the Red Sea part. And here, another piece of wood is used to create a miraculous sign before the people of Israel. And I think maybe what this is intended to communicate to them and to us is that the same miraculous power that was at work to redeem the children of Israel from from Egypt is still the miraculous power that is at work to lovingly sustain them in the wilderness. Well, after this transformation of the water from bitter to sweet, the Lord speaks, and notice what it says, there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God And do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord, your healer. So God says, look, he he makes a statement here about the wilderness. And I think this is true for them and it's true for us. He says, look, the wilderness is a season where I will be testing you. Now, don't misunderstand, God's test is not like the test you took when you went to get your driver's license when you turned 16. And what is that test? Well, you go there to prove to the driver's instructor that you know how to drive. You know, of course, as a 16-year-old, I already knew that I knew how to drive, didn't you? And you needed to demonstrate that to your instructor. Well, that's not true here with the children of Israel. God is not looking to learn anything about the people of Israel. Instead, God puts them in the wilderness so that they might discover something about themselves and so that God might begin to teach them. He puts them to the test in order to grow them and to build capacity in them and to build faith and endurance and character as they move through the wilderness. He says, I've put you in the wilderness to test you in order that you might learn fidelity so that you might learn how to listen and attend to the voice of God. And then the story ends. So now what I want to do is I just want to pause and I want to stand back and I just want to make three simple exhortations or observations out of this story for us as we begin this series and we consider how God might want to speak to us as we are in our own seasons of wilderness. And the first observation 
that I make from this story is this. Number one, I think this story teaches us that you, that I, we need to learn to embrace the wilderness. What do I mean? Well, it's interesting, as you study through the book of Exodus, what you discover is that God very intentionally took the children of Israel into the wilderness and took them on a long journey through the wilderness. Look at what it says back in Exodus chapter 13. It says this, When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines through that, though that was near. This is interesting. So um, if you look at a map of Egypt on its way to the promised land, on the map I've drawn here a direct line from Egypt to Canaan. And that route was a common route. It was 150 miles. It was a route that many of the the kings, many of the the leaders uh, from Egypt, as well as from uh, the northern kingdoms of Babylon, would traverse back and forth. But the children of Israel did not take that route by the way of the sea, although it was shorter. Now, why is it that God did not take them on the shorter route? I mean, why is it that COVID didn't end after just a month? I mean, why not the shorter route? Have you ever wondered that? And um, look at what it says in the text. He says this, For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. If you look back at the map, uh, the route God actually took was not the short route that is 150 miles. Instead, he took this long, kind of windy, you know, securitous route. You know, I, I remember years ago, uh, one of my preaching mentors, Don Snookian, who spent some time preaching to this congregation back a couple of years ago before I came, he had a sermon entitled, The Shortest Distance Between Two Points is a Zigzag. And he was preaching on this text. He was talking about how sometimes God takes us on crazy journeys through the wilderness. And we say, why, God, are we in this space? And I think the reason that we're given in this, test, in this text is because God has work he wants to do in us. There is work that God wants to do in you and I that can come in no other way than when we go through difficult wilderness seasons. At the beginning of this year, I made a commitment to um, start doing a daily exercise routine six days a week. And um, as part of my exercise routine, I decided I would start doing some running. Now, I hate running. Anybody else hate running? I hate running. And um, so, but I went for a run yesterday. I didn't run long, but I did run around Sierra Madre and Hastings Ranch, which has a lot of hills. I hate running. I hate running even more on hills. Can I get a witness on that? And um, I woke up today and I was incredibly sore. Now, there is no way to get to your goals of physical health and vitality unless you allow your body to go through the physical pain of soreness after working out and running or whatever you do. And you know, what's true in our physical life is also true in our spiritual and our ethical and our moral lives. That to move into the place that God wants us to go oftentimes requires that we go through difficulty and trials and suffering. 
How else are we ever going to learn how to trust God if all we have in life is comfort and everything is going well all the time? Now, of course, the default mode in the wilderness is what the default mode of the children of Israel was in the wilderness. Do you know the most common verb to describe the action of the children of Israel in the wilderness throughout the book of Exodus and Numbers? The most common verb is the word grumble. Can we all say that together? Grumble. The children of Israel, their default mode when times got hard when their normal, stable resources that sustained their life, that nourished their life, that made them feel okay, when those things were stripped away, their default mode was to complain. And of course, this isn't unique to the children of Israel, is it? This is our default mode as well. You know, you read these stories and you find yourself in this story. You are the children of Israel grumbling when you're in the wilderness. Now, grumbling is understandable, And it's interesting, in the first three stories, when the children of Israel go into the wilderness, they grumble. Uh, They grumble here, they grumble next week. We're going to look at, um, I mean, they don't grumble next week. They grumble in the next story, but we're going to look at that story next week. And so I said next week. But um, (laughs) they grumble when they're lacking bread. And then a little bit later, they grumble again because they're lacking water again. And in each one of these three stories, God never rebukes them. He never confronts them. Instead, God allows them to bring to speech the difficulties, their grumblings, their complaints in his own presence. And there is a place, there is a space to grumble and to complain. Uh, There's a a space to bring to speech what you're wrestling with and just to release it honestly to a friend, to a loved one, to a pastor, to a therapist. That is good and that's healthy. To grumble, to complain, to release that to God. Most importantly, there's a place for grumbling is a good place to visit, but it's a terrible place to live. It's a, it's a good, it's a good, you know, stop, but it's not your destination. If you live in the space of grumbling, it will kill you and it will kill everyone around you. And so rather than grumble about the circumstances that you find yourself in, you need to, you need to grab onto the, you need to embrace the reality of suffering. Embrace that, that the route to glory is paved with a cross. That what we are given in scripture, what the way of Jesus invites us into is not a way where life is always, you know, uh, songs and um, uh, lollipops and rainbows, things like that. I don't really know what's good about lollipops and rainbows, but I guess they make some people happy. But listen, when those things are stripped away, like that, that is the life Jesus has called us into. In this world, he said, you will suffer tribulation. And there, there is something about just embracing the reality of life that look, life will at times become unhinged. We will become unmoored. Situations around us will fly out of our control. We will not sometimes know how we're going to regain our composure or restore our marriage or, or re- regain the family that we once knew. We will get to the, we don't know. But in those times, we got to embrace it and realize that God, God has brought us into these places in order to do something in our lives. And so number one, we need to learn to embrace the journey. But secondly, 
as we enter into the wilderness, we not only need to embrace the wilderness, secondly, we need to learn how to choose obedience and trust. You know, again, our default mode is grumbling and complaining. And you know, our instinct in the midst of the space we find ourselves in right now is to complain, it's to gripe. You know, we right now, we live in a more toxic climate that I ever remember inhabiting in our nation's history, like in my own personal experience. And and in this toxic environment where there's so much vitriol around us and there's so much negativity, you know, we have to choose to embrace a different kind of story, a different narrative about reality, a narrative that God loves us, that God is with us in the wilderness, that God has taken us through this, that God has something before us. We can't give in to cynicism and bitterness. We can't be absorbed by Mara. We, we can't give in to, to despair, we can't give in to our own impulses to, to just give in and, 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 and allow ourselves to, to give, you know, spew out the same anger and the vitriol and the same kind of stuff that we're receiving and experience. We, we can't give in to despair with our marriage or with our family or with our future. We've got to grab onto, we have to choose hope and trust and obedience. Amen. You know, in the midst of the wilderness, God specifically said, like, I'm putting you here to test you that like, yeah, anyone, anyone can trust me when everything is going well in life. But what about when things are stripped away? Can you trust God then? You know, anybody can obey when, when obedience is easy, when, when it makes sense, when it's, it's logical. Anybody can choose the path of love and forgiveness and grace toward people who've hurt you. And I mean, uh, toward people who've hurt you and wronged you when it's easy. That's actually never easy. But listen, we are called in these seasons of the wilderness to choose the way of Jesus, to not give in to despair and, and anger and hatred and bitterness. We, we are called to choose to walk in faithfulness to the way of Jesus, which is marked by love and grace and forgiveness and hope and, and, and faithfulness to, to the commands of God. This is what we are called to do in the wilderness is to choose obedience and trust. You know, this last week I, or these last couple of weeks, I've really been, been hit afresh by just how important this is to do um, with... Uh, the recent passing of my uncle Jerry. So um, I I have an uncle who um, it's just this he was just this incredible winsome, you know, powerfully used man of God. You know, when he was in his he's got this really cool, fascinating story in his early forties. Uh, he he retired early, and he was fairly independently wealthy, and then did some real estate stuff. You know, in the years ahead. And he kind of lived, uh, you know, in various places, but for a while he was living on a, on a nice estate in Hawaii. And, um, and God got a hold of his life and, um, in the 70s. And one day while he's in Hawaii, he's watching Christian TV, and he sees this guy on TV named Arthur Blessed. I don't know if you've heard of this guy, but he used to carry the cross all over kind of the world as a publicity stunt to kind of raise, you know, interest, and then crowds would gather, and then he'd share the gospel. And my uncle was so impressed with this guy's boldness that he sent him uh, a check. 
And the next week, uh, the guy called him. Arthur Blessed called my uncle on the phone. So it must have been a pretty substantial check. And, um, and so they have this conversation, and he says, hey, I want you to come and travel with me and carry the cross. And so my uncle winds up spending months at a time, you know, traveling with him over the world, carrying the cross. And um, as a part of that, he, he connects with this pastor who invites him uh, to go to a little country called Burkina Faso in West Africa. So he goes down there. While he's there, uh, he's interacting with a bunch of pastors and he's asking these pastors who live in abject poverty, what do you need? What do you need? You know, how can I help you? And um, uh, one of the, you know, he keeps hearing again and again, none of them are asking anything for themselves. Instead, they're asking only uh, for roofs for their churches. They're out in the bush. They build mud-walled churches. They have these thatch roofs. They need 10 roofs, but there's no money out in the bush. And so they need help. So my uncle starts this ministry and over the next, you know, 30 years of his life, he puts 500 roofs on these churches in Burkina Faso. And he was such this strong, energetic, can-do, brass tacks, let's get it done kind of leader, just like a real mover and shaker kind of guy. And about 15 years ago, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's light disease. And over the next 14, 15 years... I'm sorry, I got emotional all of a sudden. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we watched as my uncle, who was this very strong, powerful, bold leader, have his strength be zapped from him and have all of his, his ability to use his hands and his legs and his body and his eyes and his speech and all of this slowly stripped away from him uh, until finally uh, he, he, he died just a couple weeks ago. And it was, it was just such a lesson to me watching his life over the course of this disease stripping his life from him. I never heard him complain, not once. And it wasn't just me. I mean, my dad, who is his best friend, never heard his brother complain. He chose hope and trust in the midst of, his, of, of the wilderness he was going through on his road ultimately to the promised land. And this is what we are invited to do in the wilderness. We've got to embrace it. We've got to choose obedience and trust. But finally, the story, it instructs us to look for God's transforming power in the middle of the wilderness. You know, as I was thinking about the story of him throwing in the tree and the, the bitter waters turning sweet. My mind first uh, went from the Exodus story where the waters were turned to blood and the sea was parted to when Jesus turned the water into wine. And I thought for a moment about how uh, in the New Testament says the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I thought through Moses, uh, bitter water was made sweet, but through Jesus, water was turned to wine, which I thought was good news. And, um, but then uh, I, I began to think really what this, what this story is about is about God's power at work in the exodus also breaking into the wilderness. 
And I think what that speaks to us about as followers of Jesus is that as we embrace the wilderness, we don't ask so much for God to get us out, but for God to help us walk through and to open ourselves up and say, God, work in me. Help me to choose faith and hope and love in the midst of what I'm walking through. As we're doing that, we can expect for God's transforming power that was at work, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that defeated sin and death and darkness and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the same power that was released into creation on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God was poured out on His people, that same spiritual power to break into our lives and to begin to transform us, specifically those aspects of our own bitter character into things that make sweet and that actually bring refreshment to people around us. We can actually look for God to do work in us by His Spirit to transform us and to produce spiritual fruit in the wilderness. But as we do so, it, it, it depends upon you and I as we walk on this journey to continually not just choose to walk in trust and obedience, but continually look to God in His personal presence and power that worked in Jesus Christ and to depend upon that power to work in our life in the here and now, to change our own bitter aspects of our character, those places where we have given in to all the wrong things, the places where we do need to be transformed, to continually say, God, I need your grace that rescued me from sin and death and darkness. I need that grace to continue to sustain me in the wilderness. And my hope and prayer that is, is that we walk through this series, that you and I will become more and more dependent upon God's grace to sustain us and to change us and to carry us through the wilderness. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, we come to you now and we thank you that you are a God who is for us and you are not against us. That even in the wilderness, even in our trials, even in our difficulty, even when we feel unmoored, that you are there. And that you are not silent, you are not absent, but that you are at work in us. And I just pray right now for my brothers and sisters I pray specifically for whatever wilderness they may find themselves in tonight. And I pray, oh God, that tonight your spirit would inspire them to look up and to find fresh grace and hope from your hand and power to transform those places in their life where they need you most. God, would you be the God who carries us through our wilderness and takes us into new places of hope and promise. And we ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, and all God's people said, amen.